welcome to Magical Mystical Journeys. And today we are doing a Christmas special, Christmas solstice, winter special. And of course, the story of Christmas is in of itself a magical mystical journey. Um, so Andrea St. Amand here. Um, and ladies, remind our listeners who you are. Uh, Katie Valentine. I'm a Christian minister. I'm a metaphysical intuitive and really happy to be here. I love this time of year. Hi, this is Amy Renee. I'm a shamanic practitioner, and I'm so happy that we get to be here with you guys. So which one of you wants to start us off with a, maybe a short, warm memory of Christmas or just an association? When you first think of Christmas, what, what comes up? What's your first thought? You know, as a kid, it was always the Santa Claus thing and the gifts. Like, that was my favorite thing. It was just so much fun to open and try to guess what was in, like, the box or underneath the wrapping paper. And it was so pretty. The lights of the tree. How about you, Katie? My favorite memory is probably one that's not my own, but it's one from either when I was a baby or before I was born. And it's my family coming home from Christmas Eve. And there was a tower in the sky that had a red light blinking on it. And my middle sister just knew that it was Rudolph. And so she was begging my parents to drive faster, get home, because she knew she had to get in bed uh, before Santa came and found her awake or that he passed over their house. And I can, even though I don't remember it, I know my sister. (laughs) So I can totally hear her, go faster, get home, get home, it's Santa. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wonderful memory. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother had a little sant, like a stuffed doll, but he could stand like a Santa, but he, so he was, had a plush body, um, but a, you know, the plastic head, you know, like those old dolls with maybe a foot high and he could stand up on him by himself. So she would put him right outside my bedroom in the hall at night. So I knew Santa was literally watching me Ooh. and I had to go to sleep, but I didn't want to go to sleep because I wanted to talk to Santa. So it ended up having the reverse effect. I think I stayed up most of the night wanting to chat. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, as an adult, one of my favorite memories is three years ago, I was in um, Prague and Prague on St. Nicholas Day, which is in, I think it's December 5th or 6th. It is December 5th. I looked that up right before we got out. You have like a St. Nicholas Day thing. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Okay. Well, yeah, I was. we were there for St. Nicholas Day, and that was very much on purpose. And the whole town kind of pours, or probably not just Prague, but probably all of Czech and a lot of uh, Central Europe. Um, people pour out, and in the town square is a Santa and a demon. And the children come, and they perform a song or a poem or something that they prepared. But the children in line to perform for Santa was about the cutest thing I'd ever seen. Mm. And then watching them perform their little song or their poem or whatever um, was about precious. And then there was a couple of impatient children who, you know, other kids were kind of cutting in front of them. It was all a check. I couldn't understand a word of it, but you could, you know, the no translation needed for what was happening. It was it was super sweet. And they, they get a piece of candy if they perform. And then we asked our Airbnb host um, if he did this when he was a child. He was like, oh, yeah, everyone does. He was like, but that demon terrified me. And truly, the demon in the town square was frightening. They're, they're not going cartoon. <sighs> this well, demon was scary. And so, like, if you don't do your song well, the demon takes you away. We're going to hold off on the demon for just a second. Okay. And later in the episode. So, hopefully, everyone listening has been nice this year and not naughty. <laughs> I, our <laughs> listeners, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Listeners, tell well, us. Well, you all probably couldn't uh, see what I said, but I, I clearly get more enjoyment out of the thought of being naughty than I do nice. So, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little partial to that demon. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to him, though, folks. I promise. Um, we're not going totally downhill on this Christmas episode. <laughs> um, you know, does um, it, one of the things that must be mentioned when we talk about Christmas as all and this just holiday season. So by Christmas, we're meaning the whole season that's coming along with it, whether you're celebrating a pagan like solstice or, you know, other religions, it just seems like there's a lot of expectations on us, how to perform for family, how to show up a lot of, you know, um, mandatory, perhaps gift giving. Um, and I remember a long time ago when I was still practicing law at the law firm, deciding to own Christmas and taking it back over and not participating in a lot of mandatory holiday travel. 
because I would literally maybe only have two or three days off. And I love this time of the year. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to own Christmas. And Christmas is going to be my holiday. And I'm going to spend it how I want to spend it from here on out. <laughs> that is empowering. It yeah. is wonderful. So what about you two? Like what, and it both in your work with clients as well, does Christmas or the season bring up toxic issues for anybody or that sort of those yeah. expectations? It's so interesting because I kind of went through something similar. I got to a point in my life of like, I'm sick and tired of like having to do this because I seem like I'm buying these gifts that people really don't care for. I'm receiving gifts. I really, it's, I know that there's like a good intention with it. However, there's just, it's almost like that was imposed upon us that we have to do this versus now I'm like, if I feel the call to get someone a gift, I get it and I give it to them then. And now it's more about creating memories together, you know, just spending quality time or doing something fun together as a family or with my loved ones. Because when it comes down to it, that's the greatest gift I think I can give myself and I can give them. What about you, Katie? So I, similarly, I think we're all three on the same page, although we didn't know it before just now. Yeah. Sometime in my twenties, I was just like, yeah, I'm not traveling. Not doing all that it was stressful. There were always expectations, family who I know some of you listen to this. Yeah. You know, I love you. Um, but there was always like, if someone misbehaved or did something they weren't supposed to, it was just, it just kind of all went, it would go South. Um, and so for me, that was, um, I just, it was a lot of time and expense and airline tickets or three times as much uh, around that time of year. Yeah. So I also made the holiday my own. My So my partner and I both agreed early on uh, that we would kind of do things our own way. So we don't even cook traditional Christmas or Thanksgiving stuff at all. So we switch off depending on who's got more time and he'll cook um, like Tex-Mex for one That's of the fun. holidays and I'll cook Cajun. Nice. One of the holidays. So we completely make it our own. Yeah. We don't do a lot. I don't do a lot of gifts. We do some card, uh, card exchanges and just kind of take the day, the day and the holiday time very easily. Uh, one meaningful thing I've done the past two Decembers, I'm not doing it this December because my bandwidth is just way too short, uh, in 2020, but is I participated in dress number, which is you wear a dress every day of December, take a picture or put it on social media. And it's um, awareness and fundraising for combating human trafficking. Oh, wow. I love that. Yeah. So that's been really meaningful. So this year I was just like, I can't, I just, there's so much going on. I just can't do it this year. So I'm contributing to other people who are participating in dress number. So yeah, maybe, maybe one year we can do a magical mystical dress number for anyone, uh, any listeners who might be interested. It was, it was fun to do it with the group last year. Mm, The alternative for men is to do a tie every day. Mm. Oh, cool. Of course, that dress, mm. they could wear a dress too. You can wear a dress too. Yeah. Skirt. How about it? G- gender bending is totally yeah. welcome and part <laughs> of the uh, part of the spirit of the holidays, I think, to do things your yeah. own way. Yes. Yeah. For me, when I was growing up, uh, Christmas always centered around my grandmother's house and they had the decorations and the candles were lit everywhere. But we would always go to the church service, uh, which I grew up Methodist, so it was about seven o'clock, none of this midnight mass that you have to stay up for all night in business. But the church service, which would be brief and a lot of singing, a lot of candles being lit. And then everybody would come back to my grandmother's house. So we had a big Christmas Eve party and people would stay over as late as they, as they wanted to. And we started, my husband and I started doing that here in Charleston of having a Christmas Eve drop-in. So it would literally go from like maybe four or five o'clock in the afternoon until late. And we've done that. We've done that for like nine years and we can't do it this year because of COVID. And I miss that. So, and Amy, you said you're surrounding yourself, you know, creating memories, surrounding yourself with loved ones. There are people that we don't get together with except on Christmas Eve. And at yeah. some point in that day, they'll drop over. Maybe they're wanting to take a break from their own family obligations or they bring their entire family over with us. It's been a wonderful tradition that I am going to miss very, very you have much. A Zoom, will you just have Zoom on for like six hours? Oh, my no, God. no. So that's a no. <laughs> that Don't we already have Zoom on for six right? hours? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Let me, let me try that again. What a great idea, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> nope. If it's not supportive, it's not supportive. <laughs> I get it. Oh, well, Katie, would you like to, I mean, this may sound like an obvious 
question, but what's the Bible have to say about Christmas? Yeah, I think it's less obvious than we assume it is. So let's get into it and talk about that just for a minute. So talking about the Christmas stories in the Bible is actually probably one of my favorite things to teach. So um, this, you've given me a platform, Andrea, that we we may regret uh, if I go on for too long. <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to condense this, keep it short. So the story of the birth of Jesus only takes place in two of our four Gospels. It's not in all four. It takes place in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. And they're actually very different. There's very few details that even overlap at all in either one of the two stories. But of course, they have angels and this being magical, mystical journeys, we'll be able to talk about the angels in those stories and the magical and mystical parts of it. And so the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John do not have a birth story of Jesus. And in fact, these stories may have been added on a little bit after and like after the Gospels were written. We're not entirely sure about that. We're used to the Christmas pageant version of Christmas, right? Like lots of kids in robes pretending to be kings or magi, pretending to be shepherds, um, maybe have on little sheep hats and, you know, you, you pull out the, the, the prettiest girl to be Mary and, and there we go. But in actuality, in the two Gospel stories that we have, um, not all the characters appear in each story. So let's start with the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is actually told a little bit more from Joseph's perspective than from Mary's perspective. Joseph is really the lead the lead character here. They don't they do not start in Nazareth. There's no kind of journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, in the story. They seem to kind of already be in Bethlehem. The angel comes to Joseph. The angel tells Joseph everything that is going to happen. And um, the the angel doesn't have a name uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is a story where Joseph is kind of trying to make the decision. um, Does he stay with Mary, even though she's pregnant by not him? Or does he does he not? Uh, and of course, in the end, he does decide to stay with her much at the angel's request. And this is a, a kind of nameless angel. This is the story where the Magi appear. And so let's talk about what Magi are. Magi, this is a loan word. It's a a Persian word. Um, Magi were probably astrologer kind of people. They come from kind of the mystical East. It's not really very specified, but they were part of the Zoroastrian religion. And so they come and they offer the Christ child uh, at his birth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are maybe the most impractical gifts ever to give a newborn. What is a newborn going to do with these gifts? They are not supposed to be kind of be practical gifts. They're supposed to be symbolic gifts. So gold for, uh, you know, kind of gold, I think, for for king. Uh, Jesus is born as a king in Bethlehem here. Frankincense is a precious uh, precious ointment. It can be an ointment. It's an oil an essential oil only grown in a few places in the world. I still, I use it all the time myself. And then myrrh. I think myrrh is a really interesting one. There's a lot of different uses for myrrh, but one of the uses of myrrh is something, it's a oil that you will anoint a dead body with. So from the very beginning of Jesus' life, we see kind of from foreshadowing of his death, uh, even in the gifts that the Magi give, uh, that give this Christ child. So it's with the Magi that we have the star, um, there's no shepherds, there's no census, there's no travel to, to Bethlehem in this story. It's kind of a self-contained little story where Joseph is more the lead character and then the Magi appear. Um, and, then, and then Jesus kind of moves, uh, you know, move, moves into his adulthood directly after that story. Um, so let me pause there, kind of get questions, comments, insights, what's, what's clear and unclear so far. Well, I, two questions. One, I remember when I first heard about the Magi and that the gifts were symbolic, not literal gifts, and I heard about that, I don't know when that came into my awareness, that concept, it blew my mind. And I was like, oh, yeah, I never really thought about it, but how cool is it that they're, these are wise men or giving him symbolic, symbolic gifts? And I'd also... Uh, heard that perhaps the some of the symbolism is that they're giving him ancient knowledge as well. What are your thoughts on that, Katie? I can't like I'm 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 intrigued and I'm curious. I don't really see the ancient knowledge though. Like what? How does that? How would that be expressed for you? Well, I don't know what each one of those gifts like the symbolism is of them, but that Christ was being taught ways of. I don't know, ancient ways of other cultures. 
or ancient sort of wisdoms of human humanity? I, for me, I, just, I, I don't quite see it in the like in the three gifts themselves. I think what's really impactful for the story for me is from the beginning, the Christian story, like literally from the birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, um, is international. Mm. It's it's international. Mm-hmm. It's interreligious. Right. right from the very beginning, you know, deeply Jewish parents uh, who have this child um, and in a very blended family. Jesus has got two dads from the very start, right? Um, uh, and and an unmarried uh, unmarried mother. Um, so we have a sort of deeply interreligious, interfaith, um, international crowd around this infant from the very beginning. So for me, I think that's probably the most impactful part. And so the Magi, I think, do represent, um, that they themselves represent um, kind of probably the best, deepest ancient wisdom from their part of the world. Mm, yeah, well, that's what I was trying to say. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. So that that part feels very resonant. And also, what did you think? Well, you said that the ointments, was that the myrrh? that mm-hmm. anoints a body um, as a foreshadow of death. Would that also have some uh, linking to the resurrection? Yeah, I mean, I think we can't have Jesus' death without talking about the resurrection as well. Um, so both, that their life and death are, life are very after, closely. Life after death. Yeah, yeah. We'll and, go on. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, just like, I mean, just like us today, whenever someone hears the story of Jesus, no one is surprised that Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected. Like, we all know that part of the story. They were not surprised about that in the ancient world either. It's, you know, one of the first things that you know about Jesus. And so, for someone hearing the nativity story, you know, for the first time, they they probably already know that Jesus is going to die at the end of his life um, and then be resurrected. So, it's not like a huge, you know, when they hear the myrrh, they hear the myrrh and think, oh my gosh, that's what we anoint dead bodies with. Oh my gosh, this is going to happen to Jesus, you know, spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah. So it's a, it's a foreshadowing (laughs) with impact, not a, yeah, not even a spoiler alert just to (laughs) create a little more meaning. That really caught my attention too. I had never heard myrrh being used to anoint the dead. So, you know, the, I have a huge appreciation for the plant. So to me, that frankincense, it's got so many benefits, so many properties to it. So I could see the value, like that could be almost as valuable as gold in those days for those properties. And for me, one of the awarenesses that has uh, come into my life is that the myrrh is like almost like a enhancer of the frankincense. So it's... I don't know if it's the birth and the death aspect of like the coming together, the two that creates like that more energy. I don't even know there's words to describe. I don't even know how to describe what is present for me, but that just, just sparks curiosity in me of, wow, how did they work with that in relation with that, the passing yeah, we're not really clear on what uh, Mary and Joseph were expected to do with this. I got to say, if I was them, I would have been tempted, like, let's eBay this stuff. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> guys, seriously, this is what you're bringing us right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Like, very, very poor people. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get some fresh linen for diapers or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think I think we're all um, picking up on the uh, on the richness of the symbolism of these gifts and and what they have to speak in, in ancient times and also today. Right. We're still using these today. And myrrh is one of the most finicky oils I've probably worked with because it gets gummy. Yeah, it is. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, keep going, Katie. All right. Well, so we're going to, it's the gospel of Mark starts with Jesus' baptism, not with Jesus' birth. So let's go straight to the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke is, um, well, they're both kind of iconic, but the gospel of Luke has probably a special place in my heart. And this is where we get a lot of the common phrases that we hear around the Christmas story. Um, so this one begins with in the days of Caesar Augustus. Um, so it identifies that Caesar Augustus is the Caesar in the Roman Empire. And it starts talking about a census, that there's a census and all the people need to go back to their hometown in order to be taxed. And so, or in order to be counted. I just gave away, I just gave away the clue, y'all, um, in order to be counted. And so this is what gets Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order for Jesus to be born. Now, Jesus is born in Bethlehem in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Little aside, 
the name Bethlehem is Bethlehem, house of bread. Huh. That's the name of the name of the town where Jesus is born, very near Jerusalem. This is also the name of the town where um, Naomi and Ruth, and Ruth is one of Jesus' ancestors. She was a Moabite, the story in the Old Testament. It's where they settle after they um, after a famine is over. And so the how it's a little pun, the house of bread. Oh. is the city where people, they, they flee from the famine and then they return to this town uh, after the famine. So there's always, it's a little call out, little shout outs here. And so, but when you think about it, we have this whole story of sort of pregnant Mary and Joseph traveling, usually with a donkey, miles and miles and miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But when we think about the purpose of a census, what is the purpose of a census? It's it, sure to count people. Um, there's no historical evidence of a census that that existed like this in the um, in the Roman world. So um, this is probably a um, embellishment by the part of the author of the gospel. But it makes no sense to send people back to their hometown. You want to tax people where they live. So when we if if we participated in the 2020 census in the United States, no one asked us to go back to our place of birth in order to be counted there. That makes no sense. They want to know where I live now so that we can be taxed appropriately now and property taxes distributed. Um, and so the same would have been true for the ancient world. So this is a little bit of kind of a little embellishment that they probably have because the author knows that Jesus is from Nazareth, but has to be born in Bethlehem. So this is the story. This is the gospel where we have the story of Gabriel. We finally get a name for an angel, um, which happens very rarely in the Old Testament, if at all. Uh, so Gabriel comes to Mary to announce to her that, you know, she she has been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Um, and when she says yes, uh, when she kind of agrees to this, she sings this beautiful song. And it's called, the Latin name for this is the Magnificat. And she talks about how the ushering in of her son's reign will be when um, the humble will be lifted up, when the mighty will fall, when, um, when justice will prevail and will reign upon the earth. So we see very much in this story, this birth story in the Gospel of Luke, is setting out the themes for this gospel, um, which is very focused on the poor, on the, lone, on the lowly on um, making the best possible future for everyone. So there's kind of preferential treatment in the Gospel of Luke um, for the least of these. And we see that very much in the Gospel story. And so Mary and Joseph indeed travel uh, to Bethlehem. This is where we get the, there was no room at the inn for them. Uh, and so this is the tradition of Jesus being born in the stable. In actuality, uh, in the ancient world, it was very common for travelers to stay in, um, in barns. And the animals would be on a lower level. The humans would be on a higher level within the barn. So um, I, I can't imagine that it was super comfortable um, giving birth in a, uh, in a barn, but also not totally unexpected uh, in the ancient world as well. This is the story where the shepherds come to visit the Christ child. And so the shepherds, of course, were among the most lowly uh, in the ancient world. They were, I don't want to say they were ostracized, but they were, you know, kind of smelly people who kept the sheep all day. And so in contrast to Matthew's gospel, which has kings coming to visit, magi coming to visit, the gospel of Luke has the least of these coming to visit and to worship the Christ child. Um, and so that's that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of each story. Uh, very different, very distinct. They each have their own tone. We put them in a mishmash together for kind of Christmas pageant and, um, and today's purposes, which I think is fine. Uh, that has its place, but it's kind of fun to separate them as well and see each in, the, each in their own context. Fascinating. Is there any mention in the Bible as to the timing of Christ's birth, of Jesus's birth? No, I mean, the Gospel of Luke says in the days of Caesar Augustus, so we can frame it within the, that are for the first Roman emperor. And they, he does mention um, an emperor, uh, not an emperor, a governor Quirinius. And so we can kind of use some of that like uh, to, to for dating. Of course, now all of our calendaring is at the presumed year one at the the moment of Jesus' birth. Um, I, most of what I read for people who care to try to figure this kind of thing out is that Jesus was most likely born around 4 BC. 
if we're doing all of our dating correctly, and if he was indeed 30 when he began his ministry. But this even gets tricky because there's no like Roman records of Jesus' death. This even gets tricky because Jesus is 30 when he begins his ministry, according to like all of the Gospels, but 30 is an archetypal um, age in the ancient world. Like that's when you come into your own. That's when you start to gain wisdom. So Jesus is not the only 30-year-old to start to do cool things. <laughs> so it's hard to know if he was really 30 or if that's the age when you get wisdom. So everyone says that he's 30. And also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, Jesus' ministry is only one year. It's only in the Gospel of John that Jesus' ministry is three years. Hmm. And so that's why we say he was 33 mm-hmm. when he died, but that's really only according to the Gospel of John. So it just depends on how you do your math. How, what about the timing of the year? Oh, it was more likely, if we're looking at the Gospel of Luke, it is more likely going to be in the spring because the shepherds are keeping their lambs. Yeah, that's keeping what I heard before. I was curious. Um, and is there any sense from either one of you that because we're, you know, Christmas tends to fall kind of around the winter solstice, that it's a good time for us to celebrate Christ's birth, even though he might have been celebrated maybe in the spring, his birthday might've been in the spring, but this is a good way to merge Christian tradition with pagan traditions that's already going on. Right. Absolutely. And especially with, so with the winter solstice, like that is the darkest time of the year, like the longest nights. And then three days after is when the sun begins to come back up. And there you have the sun is born. Right. Oh, the sun is born. Oh, I'd never thought about that. That, nice pun, Amy. You should write yeah. vacation Bible school literature. The S O N or the S U N. Right, exactly. Or, yes. <laughs> well, for me, Christmas has always meant on the deepest, darkest day of the year or in the deepest, darkest time of your life, there is light and there is hope. Ooh, well, and yeah. certainly the ancient Christians, I mean, you know, around the third, fourth century, I mean, Christmas wasn't celebrated for a while, right? But the, um, Chris, December 25th, what we now call December 25th, was also the birthday of Mithra. Who the heck is Mithra? Who? A Mithra, Mithra, uh, another ancient kind of hero god. Never so heard Mithraism of this So Mithraism was um, a religion... Uh, it was a part of the polytheistic Roman pantheon, you know, pantheistic religion, but it was uh, often celebrated and honored by soldiers out on the fringes of the Roman Empire. And so, um, so Christians um, see how popular this is. And I kind of have two minds about this, right? Like they either co-opt Mithra and make Mithra's birthday December 25th, or Christians and Mithra, um, Mithraites are living side by side, um, both celebrating something significant to them and the, and the holidays merge. Um, and Mithraism doesn't survive, but Christianity does. And so, yeah, so I love the connection between Christmas and the solstice. Um, and interestingly enough, I, uh, I have some friends in Australia and I asked them, you know, summer where they are. So it's not the cold, dark, uh, dark winter days. And I was like, do you guys do the snow and the Christmas tree? They're like, yeah. <laughs> so it seems that Northern Europe has definitely imposed this yes. Christian tradition everywhere, even if it's 100 degrees where you happen to be. <laughs> I heard this morning that this solstice... Uh, which is December 21st-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I might have the planets wrong, so forgive me if I have this wrong. Oh, I saw Jupiter this Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn yeah. yeah, that's right. are going to be so close together, they're going to look like one bright shining star. And it's said that it will look like the star of Bethlehem. Ooh, Katie, is there actually anything about like a big bright shining star in the sky, like the star of Bethlehem when Christ was born? Like, yeah, is that a thing? In, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Magi followed the star. Gotcha. Um, okay. They do follow the star to get to to get to Bethlehem. Um, there's been a lot of like people looking back. I mean, now that we have computer generated stuff, like people trying to look back and find the star, or the comet, or the whatever. And to me, this um, very much not not that it's not worthwhile, but it very much misses the point. Um, that these are for me anyway. I'm speaking as Katie. These are not literal events necessarily, but the star is highly symbolic. Um, a within the zodiac. <laughs> system and they were ancient astrologers. Right. And so, yeah, as astrologers, they're following, you know, they're following um, the stars metaphorically, the stars. right? Yeah. Yes. Some kind of stars yeah. to get to where they're going. However, I am looking forward to the, um, 
as you all know, I do love astrology. So I'm looking forward to this uh, conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and seeing if I can. Yeah, me too. Well, let's go back to that demon that Katie was talking oh, yeah. about earlier with St. Nick. So um, St. Nick and his demon, his demon has been also been known uh, as Krampus. And I love Krampus. Krampus has had a, a modern resurgence, but way back in the day, uh, and this goes this goes back to pagan times as well, probably before Saint Nick. But there was a character that uh, rewarded good behavior, but also punished bad behavior. So it's it wasn't like just Europeish or Central Europe. Yes, okay. Central North. It was just exactly like you described seeing in the Czech Republic. But this is Christian times, so this is a tradition that actually goes way you know, back into pagan times. At some point, the two separated and we get St. Nick and we get the demon. So they're not one character now. You get two separate characters. You get a good guy who determines you were good, I'm good you're going to get the gifts. And then you get, if you were a bad guy, you get the demon has to go actually punish you. And at some point, again, along the way, those two characters merged in Christian times and became Santa Claus. I mean, if you look at some Victorian era depictions of Santa Claus, he's scary because he's not only going to reward the good, he's going to switch and he's going to beat you if you're a bad kid. So, (laughs) So we've got this over time, these characters coming and going, merging as into one, separating back out into two. And now Krampus has gotten popular again. It's almost like he's Santa's cohort, I highly recommend a fictionalized novel by the author Brom, which is called Krampus, the Yule Lord, for a very, very fun, easy, lighthearted read. But they depict Santa Claus in a whole different light. But Santa's not all bright and jolly. His Santa's got, you know, some, 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 uh, some character flaws as well, as any good character would. <laughs> And that Krampus is not all mean and nasty as a demon. Krampus is actually inviting the adults to, to joy and to do things, have a great revelry celebration, go like drink, eat, be merry, dance, yeah. Yeah. have this like very earthly pleasure kind of celebration in honor of this Christmas time, in honor of the, you know, sort of celebrate the night celebrate the dark but ha- bring joy to it rather than this very narrow you have to be nice and good in line and in line right. that santa claus rewards so i think it's kind of complicated but there's my there's my demon krampus well that's the story yeah and the original saint nick was a turkish man who gave presents to right. the poor right you know yes. and so it's it's so yeah. it's you know this kind of social generosity Mm-hmm. gets turned into the, all these different complex archetypes for us. Different things. Yeah, so interesting because this this time of year now brings up Odin for me. So the name Odin came to me in a dream and I knew nothing about Odin at that point in time. And I went on this, I'm going to say like six month journey. And during that, I learned that Odin was gifted this eight-legged horse. I think Splendor, I might be slaughtering that name. So I'm sorry if I am. But so Odin would ride around on this horse going from place to place and scaring the people who were out and leaving gifts for those who were inside their houses. And they would leave the straw in the boot for Splendor to eat. That's, I, thank you, Amy, because one, I had forgotten about Odin. I think that was the pagan through incarnation of um Krampus St. Nick that we have today, but you're supposed to leave your shoes out for Krampus. And I forgot why I forgot about that till you just said that you're supposed to leave your shoes outside on the feast of Krampus and he'll stock them. But I forgot that actually does come from you leave your shoes out and you put the the straw in. And there's another for St. Lucia's day. And I don't really know anything about St. Lucia, but you also leave your shoes out and she fills them with sweets. Mm -hmm. Ah. And it's sometime around the, the first week or two of December. So yes, St. Nick's uh, feast day, I think is roughly around December 6th and it's the evening before that you celebrate Krampus. So maybe you go out wild and party on the evening before (laughs) and enjoy the night and then carry it through to the next day and celebrate St. Nick. I love all these threads. This is so cool. 
Does anybody know where the Christmas tree comes from? I feel like that's pagan. I don't know for sure. I know that the everlasting life is part of the Christmas tree aspect. The evergreen. Yes. Mm, nice. Yeah. I, know yeah, that- I don't know the specifics, but I think it's a Germanic, a Germanic pagan tradition that we adopt, adopted worldwide now. Well, Estonia, as you know, my husband is from Estonia, which was part of the Soviet Union. But before the Soviets took over, Estonia was actually feudal land under Germany for 700 years. So their culture is very Germanic. But even during Soviet times, when most of the people were no longer going to church, there were Orthodox churches, but people just, they were kind of looked down upon if you're going to be a good, a good Soviet. Um, every, the Estonians had Christmas trees. So, so everything still was celebrate. brought in, that was still, home. Yeah, but that was still allowed Mm. allowed in Soviet times is not a religious practice that would have been frowned upon, but an actual just winter holiday celebration. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it didn't have to be specifically with baby Jesus. Or Christmas. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you two could sum up like the energy of this holiday season, whether it's the solstice, whether it's Christmas, we didn't even think about New Year's. Um, That's all part of it, right? Um, What would this... What's this time of year mean to you? <sighs> this is Amy here. So for me, there's so much to it now. It is a time of honoring and giving um, as we feel called to, to ourselves as well. With it being uh, the solstice, the winter solstice, which is kind of considered like a new moon time, the darkest time. It's that time to go inward, that time to rest, that time to plan for maybe what's next. And for me, I don't necessarily do the greatest with the planning, but I do like to acknowledge, you know, what that next step is for me and just go with the flow of it. I had a quote that came through and as we honor the rest, we honor going inward. As the light returns, energy can flow. And so perhaps it is planting that seed of intention, whatever we want that to be. And with that energy flow that helps our seeds of intention to sprout. So if we're aiming for the moon, even if we miss, we still land amongst the stars. So whatever this time of year is for, for each individual, especially with, since we're in the time of almost a new birthing, I'm going to mention COVID because that has been very present this year, 2020 for us. Claim this Christmas as your own, whatever that is for you, even if you can't see those loved ones that you want to see, like, what do you want it to be for yourself? Feels like a good underlining theme for this whole whole season. Nice. Um, yeah, I love that, Amy. Um, this is Katie. So for me, Christmas and Christmas and solstice kind of they're, they're separate but intertwined. And I also love solstice. I do a lot of solstice ritual around setting some intentions for the for the coming year and how those will be uh, how those will be born. For the season itself, I actually, I kind of resist a lot of the um, it kind of insular family time, although in our, in our culture, that's very present. And I, I don't want to deny that to anyone uh, either. But this is for me about the birth of love into the world and about the birth of love made human um, in human incarnated form. And what, you know, for what a gift that is, um, what a gift our own lives are and I love Mary's wisdom to us. Like this is a time to turn the world upside down. It's a reminder, like we're called to actually turn the world upside down. We're called to do things in a new way. And the surprise of God coming in the form of a human is my reminder, is my reminder to do that. So I try to use the solstice to um, get in touch with that particular energy and remind myself of it on Christmas day. And I also watch a Christmas story on 
TNT ad nauseum uh, that day as well. So I kind of used the day as like a day of um, like per- personal reflection and relaxation in order to gear up for the time to come. Uh, and I also really like to drive around, which this year driving, not walking for sure, uh, behind closed, socially distant windows to look at Christmas lights. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to put them up. It's a lot of work, but I love to see the work that other people will do. <laughs> I have a streak of lazy this time of year too, y'all, that I honor. <laughs> what about you, Andrea? I, you all, I don't think I can top what you guys said, but <laughs> that's really great. I feel too that it's a real time for turning inward in that really juicy, delicious way of like, almost like really reconnecting to that nice fire, that flame that's inside of our hearts. Because I really feel like this is a time of year when people uh, just more naturally feel peace and forgiveness toward each other a little bit more than the rest of the year. I think a lot of it does have to do with the decorations and the lights and the dressing things up or, um, just the window shopping. So I actually on Christmas Eve do window shopping, um, just to see all the festivities and the joy, but it's a quiet time. I want it to be a quiet inward time. I, I used to joke with my husband because he, he gets up earlier than I do and he gets up and he's out, out of the house. Like he's hits the ground running. So Christmas day would literally be the only day of our entire lives that I could make him breakfast because he's going to hang out and not go anywhere. <laughs> so it's like Aww. a nice, lazy, homey, warm time for me. So I would encourage everybody to just remember that flame inside your own heart, that spark of the divine we can share with others with joy and peace. And if, yeah, and if we do have any Jewish listeners, we would love to know your favorite Chinese food on Christmas Day <laughs> or any other traditions you may have. Because uh, one thing I've noticed is that, um, and I read a great article about it this year, um, many Christians try to sort of Christianize Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is in reality a minor Jewish, it's a fun, but minor Jewish festival, a festival of lights and always occurs, you know, in the December, uh, in the December timeframe, but that, um, so, you know, if you have your own traditions and we haven't covered those here, we would actually love to know what those are, especially if you're trying to distinguish yourself kind of from the Christmas season, which I, uh, I totally get. So I'd love to know your favorite um, Chinese food or recipe traditions as well. And Hanukkah traditions, obviously, but uh, as we're talking about Christmas. What do you do on Christmas Day? What does everyone do on Christmas Day? I'd love to know that from all of our listeners. Right. Well, do we want to have a little meditation taking us into this, to literally the Christmas spirit? Well, let me invite everyone into our meditation. This will not be um, super Christocentric, Christian-centric, so it should be available for everyone. And we will focus on this time of year, the energy of this time of year, and the gift that it has to offer to you. So as always, if you're driving, please um, wait until you're home and in a safe place to do this meditation. I invite everyone to uh, take a deep breath in and out. Maybe relax your shoulders. If you need to move any part of you to get a little energy out, it's a good time to do it. And in your, in your meditative state, I invite everyone to imagine a spiral. You're going to travel to the very center of the spiral and then back out again. You may see that visually or you may just experience the energy of the spiral. And as you begin down the spiral path, Every step you take, it will get darker and darker. You're literally shifting into this inner darkness. If you're outside, you might notice the moon getting lower on the horizon. If you're in another imaginative space, you're entering into this dark portal. But unlike the falsehood that's told to us that darkness is bad, you know that this is actually a sacred and holy space for you. Because it's within the inner darkness that we find the most truths. And you sense that you're coming closer and closer to the center of the spiral. You know there's nothing to fear here 
but rather the warm embrace. And as you reach the center of your spiral, there's a candle there. You know it's there, even though you can't see it. And in some way, this candle is lit. Notice if you light it, if it is lit for you. Perhaps one of your guides or another ascended being helps you light this candle. And as you gaze into the flame of it, you know that the birth of love is present for you in the world. And there's most likely another gift that the flame of this candle wants you to receive. You are invited to receive it now. You may consciously know what it is, or you may not. Either way is sacred and holy. I invite everyone to give thanks for the gift of this journey into the spiral, for the gift of darkness, and for the gift of the lit candle. You'll begin to walk the spiral, the same path that you walked in on. You'll now walk again to begin to emerge from the spiral. You may choose to take the candle with you or to leave it where it is. And as you journey, take note of what you can now see that you might not have been able to see before. Maybe there are more gifts for you along the way. The love that you were made aware of that's with you all the time, you're now consciously taking with you. And as you get to the edge and the end of this spiral, you'll cross the threshold back into your life now. And you've brought with you the gifts that this flame had to give you. You're invited to take this with you throughout the next year. And as you're ready, you can open your eyes and let the light of the world flood into your physical being and return to your present moment. Hey, what was that like for both of you? Thank you so Like, I have so much joy in my being right now. So I'm going to just share a little bit. So it was almost like the spiral for me started from the ground up. Like it was that dark spot that I saw in and then it like spiraled upward, almost like a tornado type of, you know, uh, energy, not, not energy, but like that shape. And then as we were to go down into, you know, go down the spiral, it was almost like that spiral turned into a, like <laughs> one of the slides that goes like the spiral slides. Cool. And so I slid down and ended up in this like little, um, this like, cave-like setting. It's like kind of like a bear goes and hibernates. It was that type of hibernation cave for myself. And before our call today, I actually was guided to light a candle and I put a drop of tea tree in it and sprayed it with some Palo Santo spray and some holy water and lit in. It was doing this like flickering thing. And so down in that space, here's this candle that I had lit before, before our call today, just being there. And so I made my way to it and sat with it. And the message of it was to continue sitting with it. So the candle that I lit for our call, I feel that after we are complete with our podcast today, that there's some messages that my candle will bring to me along with the remembering of uh, our Halloween blue, blue full moon that we had, um, one of my animal spirits, the stink bug, uh, happened to show up and 
was very attracted to the candle that I had lit. And so there's obviously something here for me to just continue sitting and being with the candles to receive deeper messages is what it feels like. Nice. I'll be, you know, it's such a time of year to have all those lit. So I'll be curious what's, uh, what's, what else keeps on lighting up for you, literally. Right, right. Thank you. Yay. Yeah, I just love the idea of the candle. Mine was already lit. like It was sort of like an eternal flame. And I felt like I was going down a spiral staircase into a cave. Like I was already in the cave going deeper and deeper. And Katie, I love how you said at one point, I don't know how you created this. I don't remember what you said, but you created that sense of safety. You know, the darkness is not bad. Nothing is going to get you. There's nothing lurking in the shadows. And if it is, that's your friends going to help you out along the way, or it's the gifts you're going to trip over. <laughs> you can't see them till you're on your way out. Um, so I like that real sense of comfort and safety in that dark with and finding the candle. I thought that was really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. The eternal yeah. flame of our soul. And now all I can think of is the bangles. The bangles. The bangles, the um, eternal flame. No. Oh. <laughs> I can't sing because of my ill, my my uh, my ongoing <laughs> illness either. But <laughs> we'll post awesome. it on we'll post it in our Facebook group for everyone. So. <laughs> Speaking of Amy, do you want to tell everybody how and where to find us? Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, Magical Mystical Journeys. Email us at magicalmysticaljourneys at gmail And Katie, anything else that we might be missing? We'd love for your reviews on iTunes. That really, really helps. If anyone, if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen, if you can review, it takes all of about a minute and a half as soon as you listen to this. I mean, it helps get the word out there for other people. The algorithms do matter. So don't let Krampus get you because you don't review. Let St. Nick reward you for your lovely reviews. We appreciate them. That's right. And I'll also add, if anybody has a question that you think any of us individually could answer or that you need help with, please don't hesitate to reach out. If there's any services we offer that uh, would help you reach out, don't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's fun to celebrate the winter season with both of you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Love you all. Bye, everyone. Bye.